There's a new documentary that has come out called Shiny Happy People. And what does it teach us? What can we learn from a teaching that sounds biblical, but it's not? On this slice of fresh bread. Welcome to Fresh Bread with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville. Well, welcome to Fresh Bread with Pastor Keith and Pastor Brandon. Fresh Bread, podcast number 26. Fresh Bread, by the way, where we're bringing the truth of God's Word to a starving world. We're going to talk about the documentary Shiny Happy People. And it's gotten a lot of views, and people are talking about it. And it's really interesting because there's a lot of controversy that goes along with it. Because if anybody knows the family, the Duggars, which was a show, 19 Kids and Counting, they were very heavily into the teaching of Bill Gothard. And the documentary goes into and his institute in basic life principles. So that's why we have Pastor Brandon here, and we're going to discuss this institute of basic life principles. It sounds biblical. It has biblical principles principles, but it's not biblical. And we're going to find out why. So Pastor Brandon, Bill Gothard's teachings, to give a summary of them, Bill Gothard, he's a guy who came up with these teachings. It encourages Bible memorization. That's nothing wrong with that. It encouraged large families. There's nothing wrong with that. Homeschooling, nothing wrong with that. Aversion to debt. Yeah, that sounds good. Male supremacy and female obedience. I agree with that. No, a funny way to put it, It's submission. Conservative dress. Okay. But the one thing that's missing from all this is the gospel. He never really talked about the gospel. So let's dive into this. The the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Pastor Brandon, is it biblical or is it legalistic? Well, is it legalistic? Yes. As you dive into the teachings, which I have not necessarily done as much looking into it, but except for just looking at it based on, you know, having seen the, the, the documentary Shiny Happy People and, you know, sort of knowing the story and having watched some of the 19 Kids and Counting stuff in the past, especially my girls loved it. Older daughter was definitely took to a couple of the, the sisters in terms of they were similar ages and, and going through similar life stages. And so, you know, I think that in terms of IBLP, uh, yes, I think there's definitely a legalistic bent to that that is dangerous in terms of, and I think, I think shiny happy people brought some of that to the to the fore. I think it's stuff that you and I would would agree that that's le- you know those things are legalistic in terms of how you know even how the husband and wife relate to one another, how the children relate to the parents and the parents to the children, how the umbrella of authority type idea that seems to be really the central idea of the IBLP is this idea of this these umbrellas of authority and the fear based you know if you if you step out of line you know that you're now out from under this umbrella of authority, which unfortunately attracts certain personalities that want to be authoritative, authoritarian. Unfortunately, people, because we live in a sinful, fallen world, we deal with sinful people because of that, because of the emphasis on authority, you end up having this situation where people are are drawn, certain personality types are drawn to these principles, especially this umbrella of, of authority idea. Yeah, you know, when I studied for this podcast, it seems like in the Gothard way, he doesn't really mention how someone is truly saved. It seems like it's actually a works salvation kind of method. Is that what you would... Yeah, I mean, it's this idea that if you... If you live in a certain way, then God is going to bless you, which I think is true. I mean, I think that I think that biblical living according to biblical principles 
that there's going to be a blessing. Even unbelievers who who choose to live according to biblical principles are going to there's a blessing that comes because we're living according to God's wisdom, even if we don't fully understand it. You know, the guy who saves instead of spending every penny and, and going into you know massive debt, the guy who saves according to biblical principles is going to fare better financially. The guy who basically tells the truth is going to fare better than the liar. We live in a world that's made in a certain way according to God's character, and, and even as we live our lives according to his wisdom, you're going to have success. And so it makes sense that you that would be the case. Uh, so I, the idea then is that if I do these things, then I'm going to have favor with God. Yeah. That's where it, the disconnect is at. That If there's no gospel, and just because I'm quote-unquote blessed, if you will, if, if you'll let me use that word, just because I'm things go well with me in a certain in certain ways doesn't mean that I actually have a relationship with a, with with God through Christ. I think the danger with IBLP is that you could miss the fact that it's all about a relationship and it's it's not about living in a certain way. It's about having a relationship with a certain person, ultimately the Lord Jesus. And so so yes, I think there is a danger there in missing the gospel and it being a gospel of works. It's more like, what are our motivations for keeping God's precepts, right? Boy, that is, I mean, Keith, that is the issue. I mean, that that is, you know, 100% the biblical issue here. We are called to be obedient to God's what God has commanded, but it really comes down to our motivation for that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we motivated to do it because we have favor with God? Somehow I'm going to be closer to God if I obey Him, or if I obey His precepts. Somehow that's going to make me closer to Him. And, I, and what we find in the gospel is that the only person who obeyed God completely and was righteous was Christ Himself. And it's only being in Him that I am righteous. It's being found in Him. You know, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of. God in him. that The idea there is that there's this relationship now, and that it's my righteousness is found in him, not in myself. Yeah, and I've heard Ginger, one of the daughters, has said that she always lived in a fear of coming out of that umbrella and losing her salvation, or losing favor with God. Yes, I mean, because it's fear-based. It's a constant fear. I mean, it's a fear. There's a fear. It's fear-motivated. You know, she talked about, I, I've listened to a few of her interviews as well and getting prepared for this, but she talked about going to play this game and deciding not to because she needed to read the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to read the Bible and spend time with the Lord, but it's the motivation of thinking that if I go over here and do this thing that's you know kind of flippant and isn't quote-unquote holy, uh, that somehow I'm going to lose favor with God, that I might step out from under that umbrella of authority and, and that umbrella of protection that there, because I've been disobedient. Yeah, it's like a banking up of good stuff. Yes. I'm banking good stuff so yes. that God will always love me. Yes, so that, so that I can find favor with Him because of what I do. I mean, it really is works. Yeah. I mean, it really is a, a gospel of works, and which is no gospel at all. It's it's an abandonment of you know the gospel of grace. So how can we know if something is biblical or legalistic? Well, I think again it's it's the motivation behind it. And I think it's hard because I mean it, you know some of these things are packaged in ways that are very difficult to discern, you know, at least at, in the beginning. I mean it, you you talk about Ginger and the interviews that she had there was at least one that I saw 
with her husband, Jeremy. You know, he did the 60-hour course of these basic life principles. And, you know, he said, it, you know, at the very beginning, a lot of it sounded okay. It didn't sound necessarily off, but then as you got further and further into it, it becomes more and more obvious, to, at least to him. You know, in terms of being able to discern it, it makes it very difficult because it does seem right. You know, we do tend to, if somebody tells us, okay, well, if you do this, you do this, you do this, and you do this, it's all going to go well, that we gravitate toward. We want someone to tell us, I mean, life, life at the end of the day is very difficult. You know, even the Christian life, it's very difficult to discern what is right and what is wrong, what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And there's, we have a world of choices that we live with. It's interesting listening to Ginger. Her life was pretty easy for her back then in the sense of somebody just told her what to do and, okay, you do this, you do this, and you do this, it's going to go well with you, and it made it very easy. Whereas now, I mean, she's now raising two children, and she says, you know, look, it's very difficult because I, I'm trying to discern. I'm trying to, she uses the word disentangle, I think is the word she uses. And I'm trying to disentangle myself from this from this system, and, and I'm trying to decide what's right and what's wrong, and I'm trying to figure it out. And it makes it very difficult because it's a, I mean, it is a difficult thing. You know, what choices do you make? Whereas it was very simple, you know, under the basic life principles. I mean, so... You know, I don't watch television. You know, we don't watch television. We we wear dresses. We don't wear pants. And, you know, we don't, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the choices that are out there. And so I think that's what causes people to gravitate in those directions. So can you explain a little bit the difference between legalism and liberty? Well, the, I think that the difference is in terms of legalism is anything that I do with the motivation of finding favor with God. You know, as an example, by if I wear pants or wear dress instead of pants, and I think that, that there's going to be some sort of favor. The Bible isn't clear about that sort of stuff. You know, you, some people would say, well, I mean, it, it's certainly clear in the culture that they were in, biblical writers were in, it was clear in terms of what that looked like there, but in terms of how we apply that in our current modern world, it isn't as cut and dried as they would make it. As I say, the, those who follow the basic life principles, as Bill Gothard himself would make it. And so I think that anything that makes it seem like that if I do things in a certain way, I'm going to find favor with God, especially in the absence of understanding grace, mm. you know, and understanding God's grace and that, that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, you know, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work. So if there's nothing that I can do. There's no work that I can do that I'm going to find favor with God. And so anything that makes it seem as though if I do this certain thing in a certain way, that God is somehow going to see and look upon me more favorably. So then looking at liberty, we have to be careful. And I'm going to find liberty, I think, I hope, in, in a biblical way. I think liberty, true liberty, James talks about the law of liberty. And so you know that true liberty is that I understand that it's by grace that I'm saved and that there's nothing that I did, there's nothing in me that is good, and nothing in me that would ever be able to find favor with God in, in and of myself in terms of what I might do, in terms of the, the works that I might do that would find favor with God. And so liberty would be uncoupling yourself from that, those kind of thoughts and understanding 
that God loves us, that God is God has saved us according to his kind intention. And I don't there isn't anything that's going that I could do that is there's nothing I could do to change that. You know, there's nothing I could do positively and there's nothing I could do negatively. I mean, if I'm truly in Christ, there's not some sin that I'm going to commit that is going to all of a sudden make God look at me and, and say, well, I mean, that, I didn't see that one coming, and, you know, the, he did that, and I, boy, that's just a bridge too far. I'm not going to do that, right? If, I, if I'm truly in Christ, if I'm, if I'm confident that I've been saved by grace through faith, I don't have to worry about committing that sin, that egregious sin that's going to cause him to, to look at me in a different way. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, I, I, I want to be careful, that doesn't give me license to sin. I mean, that's the, just because there's grace, you know, Paul said in Romans 6.1, you know, Paul said, there may I sin that grace increase, may it never be. The biblical writers don't, they don't allow us to use our freedom. You know, First Peter 2.16, act as free people, you know, this is Peter writing, act as free people and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as slaves of God. I mean, so I don't, I'm not allowed to just go and just be have license to sin. That's not what liberty means. Liberty means that I have confidence in Christ, that, I'm, that I am set free. In John 8, John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, him if you abide in my word, if, if you obey me, uh, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Mm. And so, I mean, I can't uncouple living in obedience from the truth. It's the truth itself, the grace of God, but it's the truth of who He is and the truth of a relationship with Him. That's what sets us free. You know, and it's interesting because He goes on to say in John eight thirty four, Jesus answered them saying, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave, or is the slave of sin." You know, it's interesting because it's it's sin that enslaves us. It's our sin that enslaves us, not, you know, freedom in Christ, not grace. Grace doesn't enslave us. Grace frees us. It's the sin that enslaves us. And it says, he goes on to say in 835, and the slave does not remain in the house forever, and the, the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, now he's shifting the son, meaning himself, the son of God, makes you free, you will be free indeed. And so... When I have a relationship with Christ, a true relationship with Him, I have now been given true liberty. I'm, I've been given true freedom. But part of that freedom, understanding that freedom, Keith, is that I have the freedom to obey. I'm not enslaved anymore. I matter As a matter of fact, that's where I, it comes down to your motivation, because my motivation for obedience is that I know that the Lord loves me, and I love Him, and I want to obey Him. And that's what makes me so, you know, kind of, well, angry at some of the ways that even this documentary, Shiny Happy People, are are trying to conflate Christianity, true Christianity, a true understanding of the gospel with the IBL people we're doing. I think they're doing that on purpose, because I think they're trying to make us look like that we are ogres, that that we're trying to enslave people. You know, it's all, all about rules and all about legalism, and that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is about a relationship, and it's about a love, you know, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so it's about love, but I can't 
uncouple love from the truth. We even had a podcast about that, you know, the, that we talked about grace and truth and, you know, that the, the interplay between the two. But I can't uncouple the truth. I have to love people and I have to love the Lord according to the truth. And, and it's that, that truth that sets me free. We have the freedom. We are now free. God's grace is beyond anything we can ever imagine. We have the freedom to either sin or not sin. We could still choose to sin, but we don't want to. Our motivation is now not to sin. Yes. And I think that's the liberty part is that it's there, but we don't want to do it. It's a weird thing because we are we were slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to Christ. Yes. But we're still free. Yes. Which is a very hard thing to understand sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it is It is difficult to understand. I've gone to, from being a slave to my sin to now being a slave to Christ, but... There's freedom in Christ and understanding that there's freedom in Christ. And I don't have to have this sense of foreboding that somehow, you know, he's going to judge me and, you know, and, and I, somehow he's going to cast me off because I, because of something. I, I, I have this confidence in his love for me. And I have a confidence that because of his love for me, that I, nothing can separate me from that love. Nothing. I mean, and not even my own sin. Not even if I if I do fail, if I do fall into some sinful pattern, he is going to keep me. He's not going to cast me off. There's nothing. I mean, li- you know, literally believing Romans eight, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So yeah, I mean, living in that confidence that that is the truth. There's a there is freedom there. There's freedom. There's there's liberty there. You know, it's funny because you know Galatians five thirteen. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Mm. I mean, and so this idea that, yeah, just because I'm free, it doesn't give me the opportunity to sow to the the flesh. That's not the freedom that he's talking about. Yeah, because that motivation is gone. Yes. But here's the thing about the Gothard thing is there's this umbrella, and if if you're under that umbrella, they believe you're safe from Satan. But as soon as you, if you fall or come out from under that, then Satan will grab you. He'll get you. So it's almost like wolves are circling the chicken coop. As soon as a little chicken wanders out, he's got you. But we know that in Christ, that can't happen because we are in his hands. That's right. He's got us in his hands. Yeah, again, it's fear motivated. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fear motivated situation. And we have to be careful because we can fall for that very easily. Go down that same road of... You know, thinking that somehow, somehow, if I if I stay, if I obey, then somehow I'm going to find favor or I'm going to avoid tragedy. I think what's hard is is that you know we get into these situations because we do live in a sinful and a fallen world, and because people are attracted to these authoritative or authority structures. And I say wrong out of wrong motivation. You know, where you have people who would want to dictate even from their own flesh, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So they're being legalistic. You know, as you find yourself in a situation like that, how do you know what's right and what's wrong? You know, because you're being told, oh, if you do this, you know, as an example, I'm going back to, you know, IBLP. I mean, and so, you know, looking at this umbrella of authority, I mean, what's hard is, is that I'm making the assumption as I line myself under a certain umbrella, I'm making the assumption that if I'm giving myself to that person, if I'm submitting to that person, 
I'm making the assumption that they are submitting to Christ. So if I'm a woman in that situation, I'm making the assumption that the person I'm submitting to, that man I'm submitting to, is submitting to Christ. And so, as I mean, I think for men, I mean, they're submitting to someone like a Gothard. Their hope is, I think their hope is, is that Gothard is, you know, submitting to Christ. And so he's not asking us to do something that's outside of you know, out of a wrong motivation or out of a sinful, another way out of a sinful motivation. But I think, you know, we do live in a sin-fallen world, and there are going to be situations like that. And I think that's where, you know, going back, you know, even talking about, you know, women submitting to to their husbands. I mean, Ephesians 5, where, where Paul says, well, 521, uh, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he says in 522, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. And the idea there is he's borrowing the subject, be subject to your husbands or your own husbands as to the Lord. But it's that as to the Lord part that we have to be clear about that when the husband is asking the wife to do something that the Lord hasn't specifically asked, you know, he's stepping outside of that. And so when he's elevating his own commands to something that's equal to the Lord, that's, you know, that's a, that's problematic. You know, that's where you get into this situation where people, where men are being overly authoritative and, you know, not giving, you know, their wives freedom and seeing their wives as being equal heirs. I mean, as being joint heirs, being equal in Christ. And so, you know, the answer is, is that I don't want to step anywhere that the Lord hasn't gone. Now, here's what is interesting. I mean, we have to make choices in our lives. I mean, I when we live, when my wife and I live together, when your wife and you live together, I mean, there has to be choices of what we're going to do and not going to do, things that we're going to participate and not going to participate in. And so, you know, I think we have to recognize that according to Scripture, the man is ultimately responsible. He's ultimately responsible to the Lord, you know, to guide and lead his wife. And so we need to make those some of those decisions. And there's going to be things that we're going to do that, you know, choices that we're going to make that are going to be gray area choices. And are we going to watch certain types of movies? Are we going to, are we going to watch television? You know, are we going to, you know, are we going to, how are we going to raise our children? I mean, those are decisions that have to be made. But I think, you know, in terms of what scripture is saying is that, you know, and, and how it works in my own home, I'm, uh, you know, not perfectly, we, we are constantly trying to work things out. But, you know, is that we discuss these things and we talk about, them. and ultimately, I try to love my wife by doing, you know, what she wants to do, as long as it's not something that's sinful, as long as I don't see it leading us into some sinful situation. Having said that, you know, there's a point where I, I have to say, no, this is not, you know, we're not doing this because we, I don't think it's pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, there's a point where I have to draw the line as a, as a husband, but I want to do that in a loving way. I want to do that in, you know, in, you know, discussing that and getting my wife's input and using her in a good way, you know, for her gifts and for, you know, for the, her love for the Lord and, and, you know, for her wisdom and, you know, hearing her out. And I mean, some she sees, she sees things that I don't see. I mean, she, especially with the children, she sees, you know, things in, in our relationship that I don't see, but it's also her recognizing that I have a, a role to play in this relationship and our marriage and our family and her understanding that she needs to listen to me as well. And ultimately that I'm responsible to the Lord, you know, for our marriage and for our family. So that's interesting. I was going to ask you that question. How does the Bible say we should view men and women? Because Gothard would say men are more important than women. Well, I don't... <laughs> and you just kind of answered it, so... No, but I think... Well, I, 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 
I mean, I think he's wrong in that. I think there's a, I think e, e, they're equally important. Now, I, I, I do recognize it's funny. Um, I was listening to Allie Beth Stuckey, is her name? Mm-hmm. Allie Beth Stuckey. I was listening relatable. to Relatable. What's that? Yeah, relatable. relatable. I was listening to, to her specifically because she was talking about the Duggars and she was interviewing Ginger Duggar. And so I was listening to that interview. But prior to one of those episodes, she was talking about Father's Day. And she was talking about the importance of the father in the home. And, you know, she mentioned that when the, when the woman, when the wife goes to church, I think it was 62 per 60 something percent Mm -hmm. of the children go as well. But then she said, when men go to church, when the men, when the man chooses to go to church, then it's like 90%, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and so there is a sense that spiritually there is a there is an importance in terms of the man's leadership, even in terms of how not just spiritually, but but even how we're going to conduct family. It's critical that the father get it right because if the father doesn't get it right, then it's very difficult for the for the family to get it right. Does that if that makes sense? Yeah. Because there is a critical importance of the the man's leadership, but we can't say, and I don't think we can make the mistake that to say that there's that that women are any less critical to the to the family and to the you know to the relationship and to the family because I think that would be that's a that that doesn't follow it's a non sequitur uh, I just because I can see the importance of a man in in certain ways and how if he's not in the right place that it's very difficult for the family to do the right thing but I don't think that that means then doesn't impugn upon the importance of the wife and and her role in the family. I think that equally they're equally important and in different ways in terms of in terms of nurturing, in terms of how the children. My Angie and I have been talking about this a lot. I mean, the the children end up because they spend so much time. You know, my children have the same vocabulary as my wife. I mean, I they laugh at me at the ways that I say things because they don't. They don't say them in the same way. They say them like my wife. You know, she's, it's always, she, she always uses the example. I, for whatever reason, instead of a nightstand, I call it a bed table. I mean, that's just, <laughs> and my kids call it a nightstand. And they think it's the funniest thing that I call it a bed table. But she calls it a nightstand. I mean, that's just, the, that's just what, you know, her terminology and probably the more popular terminology because I am from Arkansas. But the point is, is that they do follow, you know, there, there is a sense where the children follow their mother and it's important that the mother be doing what's right before the Lord because, the, because of this critical importance to the family. Yeah. Bed table? So... Bill Gothard, let's zero in a little bit on him. Doesn't his teaching stress his authority over biblical authority? And when we're talking about the IB, what do you call it? The IBLP? Yes, IBLP. Institute in Basic Life Principles. Yes. Doesn't he stress his authority over biblical authority? Well, I I mean, listening to him, you know, what I do know about him is that he would, I don't think he would ever have said, you know, I, it's my authority. I think he does point to the Lord. I mean, even the umbrella idea is that the that God is the ultimate authority, and so I think he he would say that. But I think because of his personality and because he is such a good communicator, everyone I heard uh, talking about Bill Gothard, every one of them said that 
Bill Gothard was this, you know, incredible communicator. I mean, he had this, you know, these stories and, you know, that he would, he would fill his talks up with all these stories and, and he communicated well. His personality was such that he was winsome. And I think that that is how he, how he's able to shift the authority from scripture to himself without it seeming like he's done that. And so, yes, I, I do think that ultimately, when we listen, when you listen to Bill Gothard, that's the, if you will, the bait and switch. You know, he's baiting you with, this is what God wants, this is what Scripture says, but then he switches it, and it's more what, you know, he's a, it's his own application of Scripture, mm. and not necessarily, you know, where we would say, you know, you use sound hermeneutics to interpret Scripture, where we would say, you know, that that we need to let Scripture stand on its own, and, and, you know, we need to understand Scripture first before we apply it. He's made that jump. He, he ends up making that jump, and he's teaching his applications as opposed to teaching Scripture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Actually, actually, that was my next question. It seemed like he did have bad application, and he was guilty of doing what we call eisegesis. Absolutely. Rather than exe- you know. Absolutely. I mean, he would... He would take a scripture and he would then make a jump and, and apply it, but it it was more what he wanted to say as opposed to what it actually said. I was thinking of, I've heard him talk about Psalm one twenty seven where children are are like arrows, arrows, arrows and, and each one is a blessing. Yes. So he would say, "How many blessings do you want?" Yes. The more kids you have, the more blessings you're gonna you're gonna have. Yeah, and I and I think that's a twisting of scripture. I mean, I, I I do think that children are a blessing, and I do think that we having children is a is a wonderful wonderful gift from from God. And I think Psalm one twenty seven says that. I mean, Psalm one twenty seven says it is something that I should want. You know, I think that as a Christian man, I, I should want to have children and be a father. At the same time, I need to be very careful not to attach my importance to how many children I have. Somehow I'm now blessed in a certain way by God because I've had all these children. I mean, because some of us, I mean, you're, you and Jenny are unable to have children. And so you, you have less blessing than, than someone who is able to have 20 children. I don't think that follows. I don't think that's something that we should really allow to be in our understanding. I, I think that if God gives children, it's a blessing. Uh, but at the same time, I can live a blessed life with, with no children. I can live a blessed life with one or two or three or four. I mean, now, I, I do agree with him in the sense of, you know, the, the whole family planning thing has, you know, with birth control and, you know, the fact that we now, in the 20th and 21st century, we've been able to figure out how to do birth control. I do think that people have gone overboard with that stuff. And I think that, you know, the holding back and having children, you know, so that I can have a certain career or a certain lifestyle, I don't think is the right way to look at things. But at the same time, it's a choice that having children and sort of thing, I definitely want it, would rather someone be able to care for their children and have the wisdom to take care of them and to love them and to turn them, you know, see them turn into people who love the Lord. And so I think it's a twisting of Scripture. I mean, I think it's a a misapplication of Scripture when he does that. Yeah. And talking about children, do you think that he went too far when he talked about the punishment of children? How should we look at spanking, and should there be some psychological terror included with it? Well, the short answer to the last part is no. I don't think that it's that I need to have this psychological terror. I think it's exactly the opposite of that. The Bible is clear that we withhold not correction. 
you know, that we need to spank and we need to use the we need to use the rod. I think that we've we're looking at a society that has gone away from the rod and we see that in, you know, in our schools and, you know, where children are becoming terrors to the teachers and to their and to their own parents. There's very little discipline, if any at all, in terms of true discipline in the home and, you know, and now there's it makes it very difficult in schools and you know, we're seeing that. We're seeing, you know, the prisons are filled with people who aren't, you know, being disciplined and as children or haven't been disciplined as children, you know, and so that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Now, uh, in terms of the psychological terror and that sort of thing, I think biblical correction would have with it correction that shows love. I mean, as an example, I think that God's correction of us is a is supreme example of that. When we are corrected by the Lord, He does discipline those whom He loves. That's something that we understand, and it's, it's true, that He uses trials in our lives. He uses suffering in our lives in order to discipline us when we make mistakes if we when we fall into sinful patterns we do see the discipline of of the Lord in that and yet he does it in a loving way the idea of biblical discipline is restoration it's always restoration even church discipline the idea is to win that person back when you're dealing with your children, the idea is to restore the, the relationship, to restore the relationship ultimate, ultimately with the Lord, but also to restore the relationship with, with the father and, and the mother. And so I wished I could say I always did it right. I didn't always do it right. But I think biblical correction is the way to go in terms of when, it, when there is a goal of restoration, the goal of restoration, restoring that relationship, having a loving relationship with that child and that child with the parent, and ultimately the relationship with the Lord. So it's not just punishment, it's punishment and restoration to to restore, punishment and restoring, which is good. That's good. Well, I tell you what, let's put a pin in this. Let's pick this up in the next podcast, and let's continue to talk about this documentary, Shiny Happy people. There's still a lot we can talk about. Night table? What's that? Night table? Night table. Oh, bed table. Bed table. So hang with us. We continue talking about shiny, happy people. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening. Thank you.